This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Herminia Ibarra is the Charles Handy Professor of Organizational Behavior at London Business School. Before that, she was on the faculty at INSEAD in France, and before that, she was at the Harvard Business School. Herminia is a judge for the Financial Times McKinsey Business Book of the Year Award, and she's also a member of the World Economic Forum's Expert Network. She's been recognized repeatedly by Thinkers 50 as one of the most influential management thinkers in the world, and just a few years ago won Thinkers 50's Distinguished Award in the field of leadership. Her book, Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader, explains how to step up to a bigger leadership role. In a book prior to that called Working Identity, Unconventional Strategies for Reinventing Your Career, she described the realities of how people actually reinvent their careers successfully. Herminia received her master's and PhD from Yale University, which is when I first got to know her, way back in the day, and where she was a National Science Fellow. Truly one of the great scholars, master educators in the field of leadership and careers, she is widely sought after as a speaker and advisor to companies around the world. So get set now to listen and learn about how to cultivate and intelligently engage that broad and diverse network of support that you need, like everybody needs, to achieve your aspirations as a leader in all the different parts of your life. It's Herminia Ibarra. Hermie, welcome to Work and Life, and thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Stu. How are you? Hello, everybody. It's wonderful to have you here. I wonder if we could start with uh, what we were just talking about here at the top, and that is... uh, the importance of creating and using social networks, and especially um, this issue of help-seeking behavior and how it is a learned behavior and how important it is to to really understand that behavior and perhaps change it if it's uh, not getting you what you need from your social networks. Okay, well, where would you like me to start? <laughs> yeah, it's a big topic. Well, let's start with the fundamental question of why it's so important for people to be able to ask for help. Right. Um, so asking for help, let's see, I think one of the things that makes people hesitate about asking for help is sometimes it's just putting it that way through. I need help and I got to ask somebody for something. Um, a lot of the times, uh, in networking, uh, you're not even at that point yet. You're basically getting to know other people mm-hmm. and getting a broader perspective on what's out there that could be interesting and useful. I mean, in fact, one of the great things about networks is they give you help that you weren't even asking for. 
What do you mean by um, that? Let, let me jump in and ask you to elaborate on that. How, how do networks help in ways that you not even anticipated? Well, because you may not have necessarily a, a great insight into uh, problems that you're facing or um, issues that you're up against. Or um, I'll, I'll give you an example from my work on people who change careers. Yes. Um, a lot of the times people will know um, what's not working for them about their career and what's not satisfactory about the job they're in. But part of the reason why they stay stuck in it is that they don't know what they'd rather do otherwise. They don't know how to search for it. Hmm. And one of the things that happens um, sometimes to people is they meet someone who is in a, is doing something that they find fascinating that they never thought about or is hmm. in a company that they find really interesting. And, and so that's a piece of information that comes their way or... or knowing about a job posting or something like that that they weren't necessarily looking for. But if they didn't have a network that reached out broadly, they would have never learned about it anyhow. And that mm. kind of thing happens constantly. And it happens to people trying to innovate in organizations. So all of a sudden they bump into a project that somebody else is doing that has part of the elements that they're looking for. And so, so I would just even backtrack it a moment yes. to even the pre-help asking, <laughs> right, right, right. the pre-help asking stage. And the other great thing about that too is in those exchanges, you learn how helpful you can be to other people. So then you're not so shy about it when you actually need it yourself because you're part of this general exchange. So you think you know how it works? So you've you've observed that the more people provide help to others, the less likely they are to be inhibited about asking for help for themselves. Yeah, because that's how they see that that's how it works. When you're inhibited is when you feel like you have nothing to offer. You know, why should they help me? I could never reciprocate. I'm being selfish. When you actually are quite aware of all the different ways you can help people and you're doing so, then you're not shy because mm -hmm. that's just par for the course. It's it's normal uh, behavior yeah. To be to, yeah. to be giving or to be asking as well. Yeah. Now, back to the, the kind of the more direct asking for help when you need it. Um, you know, I, I think it's a great principle, but it does need qualification because you don't want to do it naively. And uh, in my work about helping people build better networks, there's a few kind of, you know, classic mistakes that you run across. One is you ask, but to a level that's just not appropriate given the level of the relationship. So mm. you don't know someone very well, and you ask them for a huge amount of time. Mm. Or you ask them for something that they really don't know if they want to give you because they don't know you well yet. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to moderate it. It's important to ask something that is commensurate with the nature of the relationship that you have with that person. I see. So what's, what's, let's just dig a little deeper on that. How do you become sort of attuned and sensitive uh, to knowing how far you can go? Any any tips on on how to develop that kind of sensitivity? Because not everyone is. No, not everyone is. Um, I guess maybe asking other people about what are their what are their boundaries. Mm. It's true that a lot of people are not. I mean, it, you know, it must happen to you. It happens to me. I have people who don't know me at all ask for a good chunk of time to discuss their research or to discuss their career, most of the time I have to say the answer is no because I just don't don't have that kind of time. Mm -hmm. However, when it's somebody that I do know, of course I'll make time for it. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so just, um, 
I guess benchmarking yourself with other people goes a long ways and just even having on your radar screen that other people are going to have norms that might be somewhat different from yours mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is really important. Um, That's a critically important idea, I think, just to be sensitive uh, and to over uh, adjust for, you know, um, if, you, if you don't know how much you can ask for, ask for less. Is, is, that, yeah. a, is that a good rule, would you say? Following what well, you're saying here? <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm sure there's times when you want to ask for more, um, but certainly when it comes to people you don't know, ask for something bite-sized. All right, so it's a foot in the door. (laughs) So there are some other some other uh, words of wisdom that you were uh, that you were starting to to describe. One is to be sensitive about how much you can ask for. What else is there that people should be mindful of as they think about it? The other is, another classic situation is when people feel like by asking for help, they're going to show their boss or some senior people that they're not competent or Mm -hmm. that they're not taking initiative. And and there, too, you have to learn how to calibrate it. Of course, you want to ask for help when you need it, but you really need to think about who to ask and who to ask first. Uh-huh. And so sometimes it may be better to go out to your network and to people who, um, with whom you don't have to worry about how they're going to be evaluating you first as a way to kind of, again, get some perspective, bounce some ideas, um, so that then when you actually go to a senior person who may, again, see it different, that person may see it as, well, why don't you take some initiative and find out? Give me some proposals mm-hmm. about what you might do. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're coming equipped with some ideas, so it's not that you don't ask for help, but there's something about doing your homework in both cases. Doing your homework about who you're dealing with and what may be the way that they're thinking about it that might be different from yours. And the second part, as you just said, is to uh, is to ask of uh, you know to get some background or or to to ask for initial questions of people who are lower risk for you because they're not in a, in a position to evaluate you. Right. Uh, people outside of the hierarchical chain, for example. Right. I would agree with that. Um, what else have you discovered uh, in your long history of research on social networks and building them uh, about, um, you, know, in the, you know, in the lead up to and then in the asking for uh, help of people both at work and in other parts of life? Well, the, the biggest thing is that most of us have networks that are much more narrow than the ones that we need. Hmm. You know, and, and, and there's a big difference between the kind of network that you need to simply get things done effectively. Uh, and that, you know, that takes work, uh, but that's that's an easier kind of thing uh, than what I call a strategic network, which is what's going to help you lead and advance your career. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But okay. your, your kind of routine getting things done network um, has to do with building relationships with all the different people that, on whom you're dependent to get things done. So who do you feed into? What information do you need? Who's buying do you need? Who are you working with? And it's it's, it's fairly clear who those people are. They're your direct reports. They're your boss. They're your key customers or clients. Um, you know, maybe some people on a cross-functional team. And, and, and so your aim there is to just have good working relationships 
so that when you need a piece of information, when you need a favor, when you need a resource, you get it, and maybe you get it first. You're in on what's going on. You Mm -hmm. have some of the gossip. And so all of this lets you get your work done effectively. It's hard to do good work without that because there's so many different pieces that go into it. Um, That's not to be confused with what I call a strategic network, which is what you really need when you're either looking to move up, when you're looking to move out, when you're looking to change your game in some way. Mm -hmm. And that network has to be a lot more widespread. It has to be more diverse, more external, more cross-boundary, because sometimes you don't know what you're looking for. When you say cross-boundary, define that for our listeners. Cross-boundary meaning outside your outside your immediate group, outside your immediate function, outside your immediate team or business unit, mm-hmm. and more connecting to, say, you're uh, in marketing. Do you know people in finance? Do you know people in supply chain? Do you know people in manufacturing? That might somehow be relevant to some of the more strategic issues that your group is working on. Mm-hmm. And so you just need a much more helicopter, big picture view of what's going on in your organization, of what's going on in your industry, how things are changing, how um, how different people view the stakes and the possibilities, who's opposed, who's against, right. uh, what's moving all of those kinds of things, you really need to know them in order to position what you're trying to do and also in order to have good ideas mm-hmm. about what else to do, what kind of changes to make. And it's the same for your career. Um, it's one thing to have mentors and people you can turn to for help that you already know well. It's quite another thing to have a network that's broad and wide enough to help you understand what are possibilities that you don't even know about and so, help you figure out how to network your way into learning more about them. All right. So so this, of course, raises the, the sort of action question, and that is how does one broaden one's network, especially when narrow, comfortable networks are easy because, you know, they're generally populated by people who are like you. They speak the same language. Uh, right. You know, it's, it's, it's easy. You don't have to do the work of learning new codes of conduct, new languages, new right. norms. So what what are right. some of the keys to right. broadening and making more strategic one's network? If Right. And by the way, what you just described, I call the narcissistic and lazy principle of networks. The narcissistic network and lazy. And lazy. Yeah, <laughs> we network with people like us and who are easy to get to know because we cross them without having to go too much out of our way. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's... That shows that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that if you don't mind, Hermie. I'll, I'll, of course, attribute it to you. You may use it with attribution. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how do you do that? Well, you have to think about what are things that you can do that actually get you in touch with other people. And the reason why I start with things and things to do is that and this gets back to where we were talking about earlier, you can't just go up to somebody that you don't know and say, hey, would you mentor me? Or, hey, would you <laughs> you know, come and spend a couple hours coaching with me? Uh-huh. Um, you need to get to know them. And the best way to get to know them is to have a common context. So easy things, um, projects in your company, a cross-functional group, uh, some kind of task force to solve a problem, uh, any kind of project, uh, something that has to do with recruiting uh, new people to your company, anything that kind of mixes it up, mm-hmm. you're not dealing with the usual suspects, 
That's Mm -hmm. a great way to start. Mm -hmm. Um, A million extracurricular activities. People uh, join clubs, industry associations, go to professional conferences, join LinkedIn groups, you know, the whole shebang. Um, Those are also ways to get to know people that you have something in common Mm -hmm. with, Mm -hmm. but aren't in your everyday path. Got it. So they help you with the lazy factor. All right. So it doesn't take (laughs) that much. To, to, take, to diversify. It, it, doesn't take, it doesn't take that much, but you're the expert on the whole work-life thing. A lot of people say to themselves, okay, my job is very demanding. I'm mm-hmm. all out on that. And then, I, you know, I have a family that I don't see enough, and I'm, you know, scrambling on that too. So where am I going to have the time for all of these things? That's, that's basically why we don't do it. Right, right. So then it requires some creativity to think about how those expansive kinds of activities can actually come back to benefit not just your your career uh, prospects, but also in some way your family and your community. Uh, Exactly. You You have to be convinced of that. Otherwise, it's hard to make the time. Right. It has to be something that you see is going to really create value, not just for you, but for the people around you. I'd like to explore further what you found in Working Identity about unconventional strategies for reinventing yourself. Uh, what, what, what were the other you know, highlights? One was about uh, diversifying and expanding your network for the many reasons that you've just described here. What were the other uh, main uh, sort of um, teaching points from that, the, from that work? Yeah, there were, there, there were, there were three bits. And they, they had to do with how do you create experiments that allow you to test new careers in some smaller, less committed form without burning any bridges. The second was, how do you expand your network so you are more likely to get new ideas and leads and inspiration for an alternative career? Mm -hmm. And the third was, how do you um, learn to tell a story about why this makes sense, this big change makes sense, and that's a story that's going to actually convince you yourself, because if you're not convinced, it's hard to convince other people who have to hire you or fund your business or, or what have you. Those were the, the three action bits. I can say more about them. Yeah. But the, the, the big picture, and I, I will. Well, let's, the, the big picture message in the, in the working identity group was that when you're looking to really change into something completely different, yeah. you can't go about it in the methodical, analytical way that people want to do it in that books like What Color Is Your Parachute?, or all these things that actually try to have you map it out with, you know, starting with your sense of an ideal self uh-huh. and, you know, kind of what to do because you don't know. Pete, that's the, the the nature of that kind of transition is you know what you're moving away from, but you don't have a clear enough view yet of what you want to move to. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great speaking with you. Thanks, Stu. It was fun. All right. Goodbye, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with the great Herminia Ibarra. And now, I'd like to offer you a challenge, an invitation, spurred by one of the many insightful and wise uh, ideas for action that Professor Ibarra offered. Let's say you're working in an organization, or maybe it's even at school if you're a student, or perhaps this is in your community. Whatever the setting, whatever the social setting, 
why not think about the next project that you take on? Consider as part of your deliberations as to whether or not to pursue it, whether this project, maybe it involves people from different parts of the organization or from different parts of your neighborhood or community or different groups of friends, consider this task, this project that you would be contributing to in terms of how it would affect your social circles. Who would you come in contact with? Who would you get to know? With whom would you be interacting? And use that as a filter, as a screen for thinking about whether or not this would be an opportunity for you to expand and enrich and diversify your network. Think about that. Try that. And let me know what you discover if indeed you do pursue it. I'd love to hear from you. It's Friedman at Wharton dot upenn.edu or on Twitter at Stu Friedman. And if you have ideas about people you'd like to hear me speak with on the show, just email me. I'd love to hear your ideas. Friedman at Wharton.upenn.edu. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by commenting there or tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.